0: How are we doing, teenagers? Are we awake? Okay. In 1787, this country of ours was only eight years old, and it was on the verge of completely crumbling. The original documents that had formed the states into a union were actually ill-equipped to handle the needs of a real country, and this great experiment was on the brink of self-inflicted destruction and financial ruin. So they called a meeting where every state would send some delegates and they would figure out how to fix these Articles of Confederation that just weren't doing the job. But one man, a guy named Alexander Hamilton, who has become pretty popular lately, brought, this, brought to this little meeting his own idea for a new form of government. Do we have any fans of Hamilton the Musical here today? I know we do in this section sitting right over here, but it sounds like this. Hamilton at the Constitutional Convention. He was chosen for the Constitutional Convention. He goes and proposes his own form of government, his own plan for a new form of government. Thank you, teenagers. I appreciate you helping me out with that one. This was not the plan. They were just supposed to fix the Articles of Confederation. There wasn't supposed to be this whole new form of government. But he comes and he talks for six hours and he proposes it based on the British system that he believes to be the best in the world. It called for a strong central government and it included, among other things, a national governor who would govern the nation and rule for life. And then that governor would be able to appoint all the governors of all the states and they too would rule for life. After Hamilton presented this uh, new form of government, when he finished, the other delegates were like, uh, wait, what? You, you want a king? He's like, no, 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 not a king, just a ruler that will rule for life and appoint other people who will also rule for life. They're like, So you want a king? In the end, not a single delegate voted for Hamilton's new form of government, not a single one. But his proposal did have some really good parts, and it helped open their eyes to some of the things that they realized would be really good if they're talking about maybe fixing the Articles of Confederation or coming up with something new. Even though no one voted for his proposal, it was the impetus that helped the delegates more clearly see and develop ideas for the Constitution that we do have today. And a similar thing happened about 700 years earlier when it comes to a theory of atonement. But we're going to talk about that in a second. Because first, I want us to look at our house. In this Lenten series, we're talking about different ways that people have viewed the cross of Christ. And the analogy we're using is a house with its windows. So if you go to a house and you look in one of the windows, you'll see part of that house. And then if you go and look in another window, you'll see another part of the house. And if you go and look in a third window, you'll probably get arrested because you've been looking in someone else's windows for way too long. But eventually, by looking at many different windows, you get a pretty clear picture of what the house looks like on the inside. Every window opens up more and more of the inside of the house. For the purposes of this series, we're using the term theory, as in the theories of atonement, interchangeably with the word window about our house. Based on some of the feedback we've heard from you all, it seems like most of us grew up with one particular window, one particular theory. Either we were told that this was the only right way to view the cross of Christ, or we weren't even given options that there was more than one possible way to consider this. In this series on atonement, Jason keeps reminding us that a good definition for atonement is at-one-ment with God coming into relationship, being united with God again. And we know that Jesus is our atonement. We know that only through Jesus we get atonement, but how? How does that even work? Well, there are a lot of theories. There are a lot of windows to this house of ours. But there are a few things that are important to remember. The first is this. We are not looking for one right Window. In fact, what we're saying with this series is that there is no one right window. Every single window opens up a new part of the house. We need all of the theories. It's not that one is right and the rest is wrong, but all of them together give us a fuller picture of what Jesus did for us on the cross when my husband and I were getting ready to buy our first house in Texas, we had heard that there was this older house in this part of town that was vacant. So we went and we parked in the driveway and we really did look in the windows because nobody was living there at the time, so it was safe. But we looked through all the windows of the front and every window we saw, we just really loved what we found. And we went into the backyard and we looked around all those windows too. And we decided we really wanted to see the inside of this house because we loved what we were seeing from the outside. So we called our realtor and asked if she would let us in And when we actually got inside, we found something in that house that we could not see from any of the windows. It was a tree. A tree in the middle of this house. Apparently, this house was so old that it was originally built right next to this really old tree. And then a later owner wanted to add on, but they didn't want to rip the tree down. So they just built more of the house around the tree so there was like this little atrium like four feet by five feet in the center with a sliding door and you could walk out and stand next to the tree you couldn't do anything else it wasn't big enough for it but because of the angles of the window you couldn't see the tree from the outside And this is a lot like our atonement theories. We can look through every window we've got and there will always be more. Because we're talking about something holy. There's mystery when it comes to something holy. But our hope as we look at all these atonement theories and all these windows is that what will happen to us is what happened to my husband and me. That we will fall more and more in love with what we find on the inside. That we'll fall more and more in love with Jesus. So today we're looking at two different windows. Unlike other weeks where there's like a window and then another window underneath it, today we're talking about two different theories of atonement. And the first one is called the window of influence. And this is the one that really came about much like our Constitution did. Jason told us the very first week of this series that there was a man named Anselm of Canterbury who came up with a theory called the satisfaction Theory. This is the one that most of us are familiar with that says that Jesus died to satisfy the wrath of God. Anselm was born like a thousand years ago, and when he coined this theory, it was the first time that anyone had actually written something down for other people to consider, much like Hamilton when he brought his new form of government. And though some people really liked what Anselm was saying, there were others who were like, wait, what? The the wrath of God? And one of these people was a guy named Peter Abelard who had a real problem with the satisfaction theory. He said that it presented God as this angry, harsh, judgmental, offended being. He didn't like the idea that Jesus needed to save us from God's wrath. So in direct opposition to Anselm, Peter started declaring that it wasn't the wrath of God, but the love of God that brings atonement. People would follow Jesus, not because they were afraid of God's wrath, but because they were impressed and influenced by the love that he showed, that it was love that was transformative, love that brought about heart change, not wrath. The influence window, which is sometimes called the moral influence window or the moral exemplar theory, says that we see God's love demonstrated in the life that Jesus lived, that he was the perfect example of how to live a good, moral, loving life. All of the things he did and all of the things he didn't do all of them showed the incredible love of God. This theory says that even his death showed that love of God, not because it was atoning for God's wrath, but because it was the perfect example of self-sacrifice, of self-giving love, of giving everything you have for the sake and the benefit of other people. So this influence window suggests that if we want to be at one with God, then we are to live like Jesus lived, self-sacrificially, caring for the poor, loving our enemies, turning the other cheek, not judging, not hating, not gossiping, being the salt and the light, all of those good moral teachings that Jesus gave us in the Sermon on the Mount and in other parts of the scripture. If we live like that example, then that's how we will achieve atonement. That's how we will experience the love of God, being at one with God, to live like Jesus did. Now, I know a lot of Christians, and I have been one, who anytime we hear, oh, I think Jesus was just a really good person. He was just a really good example. I, if I'm not being very gracious in that moment, tend to go like this, yeah, I know. He was a good guy. He was a good example, but he's also so much more than that. I really get frustrated with this, with this theory because he was so much more than just a good example. But as I looked deeper into it, I realized that there is a lot of truth in this theory. One of the things I love about what it says is that we're not just focusing on Jesus's death. We're also talking about the entire life he lived up to that point. There's a whole 33 or so years. When Jesus was walking around on this earth, talking to people, treating people a certain way, saying certain things, that stuff was important. I I just wonder sometimes if God could have just sent Jesus down as a full-grown adult and had him die. Like if we don't pay attention to his life, then that's essentially what we're saying. But this moral influence window says that the life he lived mattered. There's some real truth in that. But I also think it's a little bit incomplete. And that's going to take us to our second window. Let's peek around the corner of this house real quick, or in our case, let's pull off one more window, and we're going to talk about the window of incarnation. Incarnation, much like the window of influence, upholds Jesus' life, not just his death, as a key factor in atonement. But it differs from influence in its purpose, where influence says, Jesus came to earth to show God's love and show us how to live, incarnation says Jesus came to earth to identify with us, not just to be an example, but to bring about connection. We're usually taught that the incarnation is what we celebrate at Christmas, when God became flesh, when Jesus was born, when sweet little six-pound, two-ounce baby Jesus came into this world. But actually, all of Jesus's life was incarnation. Not just that one moment, but the whole rest of it too. Jesus came to this earth not only to show us how to live, but to identify with us in every single way. And the reason he did this is not just to be a good example, although that's part of it, but it's about identifying with us so that we might find liberation, identifying with us so that we might once again be connected with God. There's a story I read in a book called Blue Like Jazz, and it's about some Navy SEALs who were were going to a dark country because there were some American hostages there. And they had been held hostage for months. And the Navy SEALs were finally going to go in to get them and bring them out. And they go to this building and they bust into the door and they find all the hostages huddled, crouched down in a corner at the far end of the room. And the Navy SEALs say, we're here. We're Americans. Come with us. We're here to save you. But the hostages were so scared. They had been so traumatized for months. They didn't even look at these guys. They didn't respond to them. They were just so stuck in where they were. They didn't believe them. They didn't know if they were telling them the truth or not. And the Navy SEALs were going, what are we supposed to do? There's too many of them. We can't just pick them up and carry them out. And then finally, one guy got this idea. And he laid down his weapon. And he took off his helmet. And he went and he crouched down right next to him. He got his body right up against their body and he was, he was touching them. They could feel the warmth of each other. And he just sat there and was whispering to them, we're Americans. We're here to help you. We're here to set you free. Until slowly the ones next to him started looking up. And then he made eye contact with them and he said he made his face really gentle and really kind and said, we're here. Will you come with us? We're here to set you free. And as he got on their level, they all started looking up. They started to realize he was telling them the truth. They started to believe him. And then one by one, they started standing up and they followed him out. And it's something that never would have happened if he hadn't gotten on their level because they were so stuck in the fear and the trauma that they couldn't see it. So he went down there with them to show them the way to freedom. And that is what Jesus did for us. That is the story of incarnation. Like our Philippians passage says, he took on the nature of humanity. He became like us, chose to identify with us so that he could then set us free, show us the way to freedom. John 1 really talks about this when he says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness doesn't overcome it. We don't talk about this very often and I think we're going to here in a few weeks, but there's darkness in this existence, that the moral exemplar theory, as good as it is, that influence theory, you just can't talk about it. There are times when we want to do good things and we don't. There are other things. There's sin, but there are systems of sin. There are powers of darkness in this world. We sing songs about it. We sing songs that say, who breaks the power of sin and darkness? And the answer is, of course, Jesus. Jesus broke these powers so that we might find oneness, so that we might be at one with God again. And he did it by identifying with us, by becoming like us to the very core of his being, so that he could know and set us free from everything that gets in between us and God, from everything that gets in the way. Nothing got in the way for Jesus. There was absolutely no separation between he and God the entire time that he lived, until that moment on the cross. Until that moment when he took on the sin and the separation of the whole world. And the Bible tells us that the father turned his face away. And for the first time, Jesus experienced the same separation that we do. And then he suffered and then he died just like we do. He experienced everything we did. He, ex- he identified with us in every single way so that we could be with him. He came to be with us to show us the way to life. And not just the way, but to show us that he is the life. I love that these two theories emphasize life. Not just death, although that is important too. But his whole life was the example and more. His whole life was identification and understanding and connection. He was the one who crouched down next to us to bring us with him. To show us the way to freedom. He is the one who is the way to freedom, the way and the truth and the life. By identifying with us in the incarnation, Jesus has liberated us from everything that separates and he invites us to be part of new life. That's the point of these theories is there's an invitation for all of us and how we respond. The influence window and the incarnation window open up our eyes to an invitation from Jesus an invitation to life, an invitation to live as participants in the kingdom of God, an invitation to live atoned, to live at one. The question for us today is, will we accept that invitation? Do we want to live?